to me, the first companies that figure this out, that their collective success is actually predicated on their ability to unlock the individual success of every contributor in this way. And I really do believe it's using human design. These are the companies of the future. These are the companies that are going to attract the best talent and deliver the best results. Welcome back to another episode of To Be Authentic, the only podcast that teaches you how to build a bridge to the life you want from the life you have using human design, the gene keys, and the work. I'm so happy you're here. Let's get started. Hi, welcome back to To Be Authentic. Today, I'm really excited to be talking about the concept of conditioning and deconditioning in the context of human design. And I find that these words are really, they're just so jargony. They're a little off-putting. And I was really resistant to them when I first entered the world of human design. But now that I have been working with my design and going deeper and deeper into the gene keys, I am recognizing what these terms really mean and the impact that they have on our life. And I wanted to use this opportunity to basically look at conditioning and deconditioning through the lens of this quiet quitting, quiet cutting, return to office dilemma or brouhaha (laughs) that's happening in our world today. So let's first talk about what is conditioning. I resisted this idea because it felt like programming, like the word was all about programming. And I have a lot of integration or self-empowerment in my design and individuality. So anytime I'm presented with an idea that I am being manipulated by someone else, by something on the outside, I get very defensive. (laughs) It's just my go-to. And that's how it was with this word conditioning. I would hold in my head as I would take these courses and and the concept was discussed and, and talked through in the context of human design, my reaction internally would be, well, I'm not conditioned. I've watched out for that. I'm very independent. <laughs> you know, I'm not conditioned. And the reality is we all are because for a period of our lives growing up, the conditioning was part of our acquiescence to the truths that those in authoritative roles told us so that we could survive, so that we could thrive. And so let's just talk about the definition of conditioning. Number one, it's the process of training or accustoming a person or animal to behave in a certain way or to accept certain circumstances. That's all it is. Basically, it's a story. It's a belief that is unquestioned. That's what it is. In the human design context, there are two areas to be um, particularly aware of when you meet your design, where you are vulnerable to conditioning. And those two areas are your open centers. We have nine energy centers. Wherever you have open or undefined centers, And open means there are no gate activations in that center. Undefined is there are one or more gate activations, but there is no channel that connects uh, that center with another. So it remains undefined. 
The other area in the human design chart is through your circuitry. This has to do with how your energy moves through your energy centers in your design. Does it move continuously with no breaks in it? That's a single definition. Does it move through two separate sections that need to be joined through a gate or a channel? That's a single split. Are there three sections that require gates or channels to connect three sections of your energy centers that are defined? That's a triple split. There's also a quad split, which is four energy centers. And then there's the case where there are no defined centers. And that is the case of our reflectors, which is an actual energy type. It's a very unique energy type. So these are all of the areas where you really want to be on alert for where to look for conditioning. Now, I have to also say that just because you have definition in certain centers does not mean that you are free of conditioning in those areas. Often what happens, and in my case, as I've mentioned before, it's my channel of logic. I overuse those parts of my design that I'm most comfortable with. And so we can be conditioned in the areas where we have definition as well. The other area to think about in terms of conditioning and where to be on alert, and this is really powerful, it's in your Gene Keys Venus sequence. So the Venus sequence, well, first of all, the Gene Keys work by Richard Rudd, I highly recommend it. There is what is called the golden path sequence, and it's made up of three individual sequences. The first is your genius, which is basically taking your incarnation cross from human design and looking at the four gate activations as um, your four gifts. And it helps you really understand those gifts at a next level and understand the role that you are to play in this world with those gifts. The Venus sequence is the next sequence after you know your genius. This is all about love and relationship. And the, I will come back to this in a second to talk about the conditioning here. But I just want to talk about the third uh, sequence in the golden path is the pearl sequence or prosperity sequence. So this is really about creating wealth in alignment with your design. The Venus sequence opened up a lot of insight for me personally. And basically what happens is from the age of zero, when you're in the womb to age 21, you go through three different growth stages. The first stage is from the womb to age seven. And this is your spiritual quotient. It's where you have awareness that we are no longer in Eden and you're faced with the pain of recognizing that, that the world you came from is not the world that you're now in. The second stage of this childhood conditioning is the EQ or emotional quotient. This is where we develop our emotional wounds and patterns and where we develop our emotional defenses against ever feeling the pain of those wounds again. And then the final stage of childhood development is from age uh, 15 to 21. So the second one is seven to 14. The third is 15 to 21. And that stage is all about the IQ. So it's the psychological defense against the pain of the wounding we experience from relationships and engagement and interaction from ages 15 to 21. And to me, these offer incredible opportunities to 
look for and deconstruct and neutralize the patterns that keep you from deeper, more enriching, more engaging relationships. So this is where we are most vulnerable to conditioning when we look at it through the lens of the gene keys and human design. And so I want to talk about, again, conditioning and deconditioning in a context that's completely outside the realm of human design and the gene keys, because I want to create a universal understanding and help people understand really how to apply it to their lives. So I want to look at the quiet quitting, quiet cutting, and return to office mandates through the lens of human design in order to explain conditioning and deconditioning so that you can have some example that's not charged personally through your human design, but that you have a working example that you can take when you eventually meet your design and start to work with it. So first of all, conditioning is storytelling. It's really storytelling and tradition, and it's really about the stories that go unquestioned or unanalyzed. They just get passed down, handed down from one generation to the next, and when they originated, there were reasons for them. They made sense. There were rational reasons for why we did things the way we did things. So let's try one of these conditioning beliefs about this whole situation about where to work. One of those beliefs is that we had pre-COVID is I must work at the office to be productive. Hmm. Is that true? And this is wonderful. This is how the work can come in. Is that true? Well, we thought it was true until suddenly we're no longer working at the office. Interesting. The new reality is I get to choose the work environment that supports me. Another belief is commuting is just part of my day. Is that true? Does it have to be that way? Well, what happened after lockdowns is people realized how much time they were spending getting to their place of work that they really didn't have to be at in order to be productive. And that commute time could be anywhere from one to three additional work days that is unpaid. So suddenly when people realize that they can do their work from home, it's really hard to justify getting them to get back in their car or on the metro or whatever their form of transportation is to go to the office when it's on their dime, right? This is taking anywhere from one to three additional days out of their life, away from their families, away from their hobbies, away from their rest. So another belief is the office schedule is my schedule. Now this one I, I love because I think this is where people suddenly really felt very empowered when they could start working from home because they realize that for some people, they are most productive at two in the morning or four in the morning. I'm one of those people. I am not productive, surrounded by a bunch of people. I've already had a complete workday usually by noon. This is often how my productivity works. Now in the human design world, it's really fascinating because every energy type operates differently. It metabolizes other people, ideas, experiences, environments differently. And so when people are left to work according to their own rhythm, whether that's their circadian rhythm or their energetic rhythm or their family schedule rhythm, 
they will be able to do more with less effort and feel the satisfaction, the success, the peace that comes with that. The thing about conditioning that I find really fascinating is a lot of times we do not realize that we have been conditioned. We do not realize that we have stopped asking why. Well, why is it that we must be at the office to be productive? Why is it that I'm not compensated for my commute hours? Why do I need to force myself to work according to the company's hours as opposed to the hours where I am most productive, where I can get the most done, where I can do my best quality work? We forget to ask why. Well, when COVID happened and the offices were shut down, all of a sudden that started the process of deconditioning. Everyone started to see that all of these givens about what it meant to be productive and show up and be part of a company, that those conclusions of the conditions that were necessary in order to be part of a community really don't matter. They're invalid. They're not necessary. I mean, this is what this battle is about, is that employees everywhere now realize, well, wait a second, when I was at that office, how much of my time was I really productive? I was actually quite distracted by the noise of others, the demands of others, the interruptions of others. And, you know, I had to put on this fake face and I had to be this fake person because I had to be part of the culture. And so now that that's gone, poof, right? That notion that in order to be part of a community, in order to be productive, one must be in an office with other people side by side, people are saying not so. In fact, I'm actually more productive when I'm on my own, when I'm sitting in my garden on the computer, or I'm sitting in my home office, or I'm sitting on my sofa, or I'm in my pajamas, <laughs> right? I do all of those. Or I'm in my bed, my favorite place to work, in my bed. So the freedom that has now come with that realization is really hard to unsee. And it's really hard to give up unless someone wants to pay. How much is it worth the company to command that freedom in order to get the equivalent results? And I would say that it's virtually impossible to ever get the equivalent results because they will always be less than when they are synthetic when we force and manipulate people to show up in ways that are not native to how they're built, we are not going to get the best from them, period. So what do we do with the second conditioned belief that commuting is just part of my day? Well, hmm, wait a second, that commute time is a tax on my life and my family. That time, whether it's eight hours or 16 hours or 24 hours of commute, no matter how comfortable that commute is, you know, whether I'm chauffeured in, in a bus, you know, that takes me to my office or I'm on a subway or I'm on a ferry, whatever the case, I don't care how comfortable one makes it, that time is mine and it's not being paid for. Actually, it is being paid for in terms of my quality of life and in terms of my life balance, my work-life balance, my time with my family, my time with my hobbies. Right? And I can't get that back. And I'm the one that's paying for that, not the company. Really, really hard to unsee. Okay. The third conditioned belief, right? That 
the office schedule is my schedule, that we all have to show up and work the nine to five. Now, look, the three times I can think of where that doesn't work are farming. You got to work when the sun is up. (laughs) The market, in terms of the stock market, you got to work when the market is open or retail. You work when the stores are open. But beyond that, every other enterprise to adopt a nine to five or equivalent work schedule is arbitrary, absolutely arbitrary. And that's what people have figured out. The new knowledge is I work according to my own rhythm. How liberating is that? When the veil of these conditioned beliefs is lifted, it is impossible to go back to the status quo. It is impossible to subordinate your own experience, your own awareness. You cannot shoehorn yourself back into that old existence knowing what you know now. You can't without severe pain and inconvenience and discomfort. And that's what's happening right now. That's why there is this battle. That's why there is this quiet quitting and quiet cutting around returning to the office because the vast majority of employees have figured out that, hey, this way that I used to show up, the way I've been told I had to show up in order to be productive and make a contribution and create value and get paid for it, that old way is not true. There's another way. And this other way gives me so much more satisfaction in my life and work-life balance that I can't go back without being bitter and resentful and frustrated. That's what's happening. What I think is so fascinating about this dilemma and this whole zeitgeist, you know, of return to office and power struggle and all of that, I find it fascinating on a couple of levels. The first level is nobody's talking about what's possible in the greater context, if we actually started to work and manage these organizations, allowing individuals to work according to how they're designed. Now, you'd have to bring human design into the corporate world in order to really make that happen. But how fascinating and how interesting would it be to see an organization create policies that embrace the natural energetics and biorhythms of the people that are working with them, the people that are working for them. Allow people to show up and share their strengths and their gifts when it is in alignment for them and their energy and how they use it. To me, the first companies that figure this out, that their collective success is actually predicated on their ability to unlock the individual success of every contributor in this way, and I really do believe it's using human design, these are the companies of the future. These are the companies that are going to attract the best talent and deliver the best results. And it fascinates me that nobody is talking about that possibility of what if we actually embraced this new normal and organized our human resources, our policies, our ways of working to embrace the individuals that are contributing to our success. I think this is one of the most fascinating problems of our day and a really exciting project 
to solve. The other thing I find really fascinating is how this tension and this resistance employers have to embracing a work from home as standard policy, these companies are embracing and using the technologies that actually make it possible to work from home, as we discovered. All of the information technology, all of the video technology, all of the telecommunications technology, these are the technologies that allow us to work from any place at any time, to connect with anyone, anywhere. And given that most of our work is in the information world, can be reduced down to bits and bytes, ones and zeros, it's astonishing to me that those same companies that gave us these technologies are resisting our ability to use them for the way they're designed to be used to support the individual. It's confusing to me that we're not optimizing those innovations in the ways that they were intended, in the ways that they allow. And what I think is going to happen is if companies do not embrace the individual autonomy in terms of deciding their workspace in order to deliver their best quality work in the way that they best operate. <laughs> What's uncomfortable for these employers is that these technologies have shifted the power from the employer to the employee. And this is really what is uncomfortable for the employers. They do not have the control that they once had because the veil has been lifted. And so it, as long as they don't embrace a way to allow their employees to show up with autonomy and determine what works best for them in terms of where they do their work and what hours they do it, this tension is going to continue to be an undercurrent at these companies. And as long as it's not embraced, it will lead to employees quiet quitting on the way to actually quitting to become a solopreneur. Because guess what? All of the technologies exist for individuals to become their own boss, to become productive in their own way, to create value in their own way for people that need what they have to offer. And that's what's happening en masse. And so until companies figure out how to compete with that level of freedom and autonomy and individuality, they will continue to lose talent. And so this example, which I feel like whether or not we work at a company or work for ourselves, we all can relate to this awakening. This has been a massive awakening among traditional employees who used to show up at the office. That was the status quo pre-COVID. With the lockdowns, the veil was lifted. And now people are asking why. They're learning to question the value of these inherited rituals and they're adjusting their behavior as a result. This is what human design allows you to do with your own design. It allows you to start to look at where might you be honoring rituals that have been handed down to you that are not you, that do not embrace you, that do not support you, that do not enrich your life. Where might you be vulnerable 
to running on autopilot and never questioning why. Where might you be vulnerable to conditioned beliefs and behavior patterns that you learned as a child, that you inherited from your family, that you inherited from society? Where are those beliefs that have you trapped in a lesser version than you're supposed to be? So this little experiment, right, to show what a conditioned belief and behavior pattern is, right, to recognize what investigating or having a spirit of inquiry about it is, what happens when the veil is lifted on that conditioned belief and behavior, and how it opens up this whole new world of decision-making in a way that's correct for you. And this is what you get to do when you meet your human design and your gene keys, is you get to look into all those nooks and crannies, right? All the places where you might be conditioned in your beliefs and behaviors and start to ask why. And is it true? It's the greatest adventure of your life. It's the path of returning to the highest expression of you, the most pure expression of you, the reason you are uniquely here in this world to create value. If you want to learn about your conditioning, I offer a superpowers and kryptonite reading for 90 minutes, and it will give you the five essential elements of your design so that you can start living intentionally in alignment with who you're here to be. And I'll leave a link in the show notes so that you can look into that. It would be an honor to support you and guide you at this moment in your journey. Thank you for joining me on this episode of To Be Authentic, where we explore the practical side of human design, the gene keys, and the work in an integrated approach we call the quantum way. If you're new to human design and the gene keys, click the links in our show notes to get your free chart and profile. While you're there, subscribe to our mailing list to receive special offers and invitations and follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and your podcast provider of choice to never miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening. You make this podcast matter.